Welcome to our a Hyper Talks special. I'm Alex Aquati, and uh, today we have Rob Scotland here. Hello. Hello. Rob is a strategic director of Bold Scandinavia. He's also a TEDx host, which he's proudly uh, putting up on his LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let, let's get it straight. When you do a uh, when you do a TED talk, it's very good for the ego. <laughs> Until you're stood on stage in front of 800 people crapping yourself that this is a one take only for YouTube. So it's uh, good for the ego, good for the CV, but be careful. But um, you're also an anthropologist. Yeah. So uh, it's really nice to have you here. Thank you for having um, me. So what have you been up to recently? Uh, a lot. Um, so it's 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 quite been quite busy in terms of helping different businesses understand their audiences. Um, anthropology is really a situation of trying to get to the bottom of how people think, feel, react around different topics. And then what my team does is we try and disseminate that in a way that's useful for businesses. So we've been working with some really great people from um, Telia to adidas to vlux um and it's been great it's been really really good just busy and then just kicked off the first of uh two modules with hyper island so nice trying to give some of the students and the talent there the access to kind of real world um thinking and feeling around brands and brand marketing so busy cool. but happy yeah really, really, really nice good. really nice uh so you're a strategic director at Old Scandinavia. What uh, what is it that uh, you do? Like, what's your, what's your role uh, basically? Yeah, well, I mean, our our business is changing quite rapidly. So, Bold traditionally would have been a graphic design agency, but I think in twenty twenty is closer to say that we're a brand strategy design agency. So it doesn't mean that every solution we come up with has to end in graphic design. Right now, what we're seeing is that um, the team and myself around the concept of insight are really creating some good work um, that is ending up as conceptual creative work. What I mean by that is that somebody will say to us, I have this challenge or I have this problem. I want to understand this particular audience. And then our solution may be visually showing them what a solution could look like. It doesn't always have to be the final thing. Three, five years ago, we would have always been trying to aim it for it to be a corporate visual identity, so a new logo or a new system. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like that anymore. So that's what's making our work really, really interesting. But has uh, anthropology always, like... It's, it's not always been associated with digital industry and design, has it? Or I, I don't no. know much about it. No, I agree. No, I mean, it's um, the educational side of anthropology. I think people tend to think of people sitting in a in, in, in a field with a tribe <laughs> a for cave. six months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just observing what's going on for six months. Um, but what was interesting was, uh, especially myself and my business partner, when we ran um, a company called Bandit for eight years, what we found was that, there was a new way of talking about this observation and analysis of modern culture and the fact that a lot of businesses know what their shareholders want. They know what their uh, owner or their boss wants, but they don't really know as much about what their audience wants. Yeah, exactly. And that was our uh, that was our gap in the market. So since then, what's really happened is that it's kind of come around full circle where I think um, we had a, an era where the creative director was king and he would kind of, he or she would demand, okay, this is how I see the world and the world would eat us up. Now I think we're in a 
much more powerful situation of where people are creating brands. What we're doing right now is part of a personal brand yeah. for me and for you. And with that has come a need for a whole new set of intelligence and anthropology and ethnography. So where you really get into depth of how people <laughs> live are two things which are now uh, getting more popular, which I'm really, really happy for because they weren't popular 10 years ago when I first started. But that's it. When we're working with uh, businesses and clients, uh, we hear a lot now about user-centered, user, user, target audience, user, user, user. Uh, is, was that the case, like you said, 10 years ago? Or is it is it is actually new, like a new... I think it's a renewed focus. Okay. I, I think that when you, when you look at some of the leading businesses um, or brands, so we always talk about the Apples, the Nikes, the, Nikes, the, the people yeah. who are like top. I think they've always had a, a, a foothold in culture and understanding how to navigate culture or use culture for their own uh, business purposes, whether that's to inform product design or to develop marketing campaigns that we still remember to this day so you know i'm wearing jordan sneakers and yeah. jordan finished playing 20 i've got my nikes on ago. as well <laughs> yeah so so there's something about these brands that endure um but on one hand you've got nike who, have, who are brilliant at kind of keeping a foothold in what's going on in modern culture on the other side you've got a company like apple who have been the vanguard in leading uh, and creating and taking you to places maybe you didn't expect so yep. the development of a watch or an ipad and those kinds of things nobody asked for that i don't think that came out of a series of focus groups or anything like that but what it came from was a a design thinking kind of leadership vanguard, which then creates desire. So you've got different ways of going about it. But at the end, we, we admire these companies for, for their bravery and for their ability to have values that resonate with us as well. So, yeah, anthropology taps into trying to identify at least what that could be for each person, brand, client, organization that we work with. Cool. Like... Um you mentioned Nike and you uh, mentioned Apple. Uh, like Nike recently had Colin uh, Kaepernick. Yep. And um, I don't have an example for Apple, but like how, how genuine are these brands? Um, because sometimes working on the back ends of brands, you it's not greenwashing or anything like this, but in the end it's business. Yes. So... Um, What's your view on Nike first? Yep. Well, it's funny you say that because I was just lecturing about that this morning where I think it's really important to try and understand the why behind what happened. And I think when we look back, it's very easy to forget that as it was happening, this was a really dangerous move. But one of the things that allows Nike to not be seen as uh, as greenwashing or cause whatever, cause marketing or whatever, is that they've, they've got a history of doing this. Mm -hmm. They've always, um, from the kind of inception of the brand, they've always been going with the rebel or the outsider. So they play that role and they know that, that role really, really well. The issue with Colin Kaepernick is more a situation of everybody hopefully beginning to understand that there was a commercial decision made as much as a marketing decision. Okay. So what I think Nike did to great effect was they calculated that there was more progressive people 
of a particular age or demographic yep. that would side with them over a more conservative, potentially different type of demographic. And I think they realized the numbers were more on their side. There may be X amount of more people who are progressive and younger and would side with the idea of an athlete protesting against police brutality um, rather than just a run-of-the-mill, same old, same old. So when they did do that, what was interesting was they had, I think it was a, don't quote me, but I think it was something like a 6% dip in share price on the day that they released this. Okay. And then you have people like the president of the United States calling <laughs> all of the players sons of bitches and they should be fired. So it really got to be a very um, polarizing uh, situation, which they could have been on the wrong side of. But do you, do you calculate this before making a decision, say, financially? Do you actually do, do you crunch the numbers first? I, I definitely believe they must have done yeah, that yeah. because you're not going to make such a huge decision on a whim. But I think it's really important for marketers to understand that's one of the things we're talking about with the um, creating informed marketing module that we're doing at Hyper Island is that it just informs your decision. So you know what you want to do. You know you want to support this guy. But you also have to look at the business impact. And with it wasn't until even for myself that I'd, I'd gone from working with agencies to working in a global marketing department when I began to realize we're responsible for a lot of people's jobs from manufacturing, distribution. Yeah. creation is not just the nice you know sipping lattes in the marketing <laughs> department and wearing cool sneakers um there's a lot of of practical issues that come into play now what is really interesting is i think that they had the bravery to make the decision most people don't and there's another example of gillette who had a commercial just shortly afterwards where they talked about toxic toxic masculinity and what's interesting with that is that they they got it wrong and they yeah. made a huge, I mean, billions of dollars of losses. I, I understood what they were trying to achieve. Yes. But the uh, the more times I watched it, the more... The, the, yeah. yeah, unfortunately. So this goes to show you that even though you can make all of the calculations, you can do everything correctly, you can have all of the big data, if the execution of the campaign or the idea or the concept isn't executed flawlessly, it can be an issue. So, you know, Nike managed to execute their campaign with Colin Kaepernick to absolute perfection. They got the timing right. It was done just before the Super Bowl. They'd allowed a certain amount of months to pass of where this had been bubbling under the surface of American uh, culture and, and socio-political uh, landscape for a long time. But when they did do it, they did it with absolute kind of clarity yeah. and they rode out the storm because as i said i think they had a six percent dip in um in 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 share value but they added uh, again i can't remember whether it was a 12 percent dip or something but they added an incredible amount to the road to the valuation of their bottom line within 12 weeks um what it showed was by kind of engaging in the polarity that was happening and choosing a side that they were able to stimulate people buying their products. But as a consumer, like you were saying, Nike did it well and uh, Gillette uh, did it shit, basically. <laughs> um, but as a consumer, when I'm seeing this uh, marketing, seeing the advertisements online, um, when I look at Nike, I'm thinking, are they being genuine about it? Because it actually means something to me. Yes, and it's the same with Gillette. It's like I know what they're trying to like, what they're trying to do. Yep. But are they being genuine about it? And so, as a consumer looking in, like, what is your advice? 
No, I think trust your bullshit filter. If we're allowed to swear. I think that's the key thing. I mean, that you know, we have to realize that from when, if you're kind of under the age of, I'd say, mid forties, you've lived through a period of rapid technical and social um, changes. So you know. 10 years ago did did things like the iPad, Facebook, all these things, I think 14 years ago, these things didn't exist. You know, we didn't have Spotify. We were still going to the video store, yeah. to Blockbusters, to go and select physical hard copies good of videos. Good times, good times. <laughs> well, I don't know. And, you know. So you couldn't get the video you wanted. So all of a sudden, we, we got this situation of where um, a lot of people have grown up with a different kind of universe at their disposal, a different set of ecosystems at their disposal. And that's what they're used to. But it's clashing with a slightly older system for anybody who maybe rails against that and remembers when it was the good old days and all that kind of shit. But in reality, the brands who are able to understand what's happening in people's lives best win. No two ways about it. So Apple are the other example of where they maybe try and take risks and lead and will introduce new products to the marketplace that nobody's ever thought of. When the iPad first came out, I thought, I don't need this. Yeah. I've owned five. Yeah. You know, I don't, watch, what would, what do I want an Apple watch for? I don't like the look of it. After about a year, I've now owned two. Yeah. You know, so it, there's different ways of tapping into what people might desire um but what's key is i think is to understand that people have a very especially most audiences now have a very very refined bullshit filter they're being hit with all sorts of branding and communication from when they open their eyes and so what starts to happen what we're seeing now from a lot of the work we're doing right now is that audiences are not even cognizant of the decisions they're making they just do it it's a reaction and they may not necessarily be aware they're being marketed to but they're definitely making decisions about what retains on their internal hard drive in their head so everybody remembers the Kaepernick campaign but they probably can't remember the last campaign Nike did last month for instance yeah I have no idea (laughs) yeah but but so so the the kind of hierarchy of of how we want to be communicated to um, has changed rapidly. It's not the uh, the Don Draper days where you'd open up a magazine and the advert had to be on the left-hand page or the right-hand page, actually it's the right-hand page, um, for you to remember it. We, it's just not like that anymore. Um, but with that comes kind of action and reaction. With the increased messaging, makes it a lot harder to get your, your key message across in the ways that are most effective. Yeah, and it's like... From knowing you, or uh, knowing about you, I, I I think you're a champion of the youth. Yeah, the, big time. The younger generation. Yep. Um, but what we're seeing politically right now is a bit of a cross between uh, generations. Sure. sure. Um, what, what like, uh, what's what's your thoughts on um, the youth growing up with this technology and understanding uh, the bullshit filter? Yep. And say my gran, who's 83, but still gets to vote. Uh, not understanding an I- how an iPhone works. Um, yeah, but but again, I think it's what, what we're starting to see is that um, older people. I'll come back to younger people, but older people are getting progressively more savvy about technology because they're finding ways to enjoy it. So you'll see older people will use, we had a study we did recently where older people were using Snapchat and those types of things, (laughs) but mostly as a way of engaging with their grandchildren. Connecting. Yeah. Yeah. 
and so and they may use Instagram that's growing, but it, it will be through maybe to watch rather to than to participate, for instance. Um, so that's that's one side of it. That for young people, I think there's so much that's happening right now, particularly where. They would have been let down by previous generations, whether it be we're looking at things like the, the you know, climate change, whether we're looking at issues around employment, um, living standards, those types of things. You've got a lot of young people who are looking at their parents and grandparents who had it way easier than they ever had it. They were able to get a job and a house and all these things by their mid-20s. And realistically, we've got a lot of people in their 30s in a lot of developed Western countries are having to share properties or to rent and that's just a reality yep, for hands them. up <laughs> yeah or or you know the the opportunity to have a full-time job that will actually pay all of your costs is damn near impossible for a lot of people under the age of kind of 40 so there's a lot of polarity that's happening and i think that's being played out politically so where you're seeing unfortunately a lot of old white men are making decisions for the rest of society that is only in their best interest it appears a lot of the time so it's really important when we kind of, you know, we're sat in Stockholm and we look at how um, diverse and, and progressive, you know, this city can be. I live in Copenhagen rather than London. And again, we're starting to see different cultural capitals emerge, places like uh, Portland and, and I'm trying to think of others. God, yeah, Copenhagen to an extent, Stock, Stockholm to an extent Amsterdam as well. is already growing as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Just these places where it can be an outlet is very interesting. And then you're seeing the dynamics of of cities like London and Paris, normally the financial and cultural hubs, they're maybe beginning to wane a little bit in terms of their influence. And that's because of action and reaction. I think young people react to this to the effects of what's happening they make freelancing look really fucking cool you know the ability to sit in a coffee shop on a laptop all of a sudden becomes cool and then you know five years later laptops start to proliferate most offices um people talk about things like the gig economy and the ability to have freedom to travel to move to do those things um they start to become more desirable to a certain extent um the use of visual forms of social media to promote lifestyles which are yeah, a little bit not quite <laughs> reality but at the same time people are leveraging that to 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 create businesses so are you are you kind of saying like um there's a lot of new jobs uh coming up some so there's some uh job titles that i have no idea what is involved yeah. in these jobs uh and is that because of the technology uh, advancements or mm. is it also just due to the youth coming up yeah, I think it's a mix of both. I think there's a there's a supply and demand because you've got a situation of where if you're a UX designer right now, you're pretty much in, uh, <laughs> in hot demand. Now, 20 years ago, if you were building a website, you were in hot demand as well back then. So I think it, it's very interesting just to see how rapidly things are moving and changing. I was having a conversation with um, the Uber driver on the way down where I was just like, if I had my choice, I might be a carpenter now. Because yep. nobody knows how to build a fucking table. Everybody <laughs> knows where to go buy one. So maybe you're better off being a plumber or a carpenter. Everybody wants to be in marketing. Everybody wants to have the laptop and the this and the that. Nobody, the shower breaks. Everybody's <laughs> like, ah, what do I do? We Google it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, th I think 
it, it's just interesting, especially when, when we've got to say in the developed Western world, there's definitely some things that are um, troubling and are tough. But what you see is that I think I'm... I'm always on the optimist side, you see action and reaction. And often the reaction of younger generations is to be genuinely innovative because they have to be, um, you know, so they'll flat share. They will, they will, you know, do multiple jobs. All yeah. of a sudden they start to have different interests. You know, how I met you, you had your business, oh, yeah. you know. So all of a sudden you take all of that that experience from running a business and you'll say, all right, but I'm still going to go back and look at education again as a way of furthering myself. It's funny because now what we see is a lot of people who um, traditionally would have been like what everybody looks up to, like a bank manager or a financier and those types of things. And whilst money is still um, something a lot of people want, a lot of people are jealous of the guy who can fuck off for six months and go <laughs> surfing, you know, or, or go go travel or go do photography and those types of things. So um, we're starting to see a kind of a, a shift take place um but what do you very think, interesting what do you think influences that because say uh like i got brought up being told that i got to work hard all my life and uh you got to put the hours in etc etc and uh like you just said uh we are now seeing a lot of people digit whether they're digital nomads or whether they're like oh, but maybe i can work for six months and go traveling for six months yeah and it's becoming the maybe the norm mm. uh of what the youth want well, yeah, because why? I mean, like, the thing, I think the conversations people have are, are very, um, maybe internally, but they're very honest because they're, <laughs> they're looking at, like, that teacher, that bank manager, that CEO, and they're like, really? Yeah. Uh, you, I, I'm doing this so I can be like you? You know what? In in some instances, I've had this, um, I had this discussion with Professor Scott Galloway in, in New York, and he, he probably won't remember it, but I just wanted to question the capitalist kind of assertion because we where we're living in the Nordics, we see us still capitalists, still yeah. money's there, but we see a slightly different notion of it's like, well, am I happy? Yeah. You know, we're seeing people being much more aware of their mental health. A lot of people less... Uh, inclined to use education as a way to dampen their own um, wishes and wants and they want to know what genuinely makes me happy and what let me go do that so I don't have to wear that white shirt and that blazer and slick my hair a certain way and speak and eat and do all this it's weird <laughs> so those are more progressive people who are challenging the status quo um, what is good is that because economically we're starting to see a lot of companies and brands struggle for growth, they want people who are new or different or think differently to help them stimulate their business product or service. So we're getting a little bit of traction from that. But um, yeah, it, it, it's tough because it's driven by a reaction to very conservative, very, um, yeah, kind of kind of stayed boring kind of values and I think some people look at may be looking at their parents they may be looking at their educators or the people they're meant to look up to and go nah I don't really want to do that yeah yeah you know, I, that, uh, that's not worth it to be honest I know the feeling <laughs> uh, so you're doing a uh, module at Hyper Island yep that's right yeah. uh, so do you have any advice for the students or for anyone really getting uh, into um, into the industry? Yeah, sure. I, th I think there's two key areas for me, and and I've, I'm like 
overjoyed and blown away by the reaction that we've been getting to the module last year and the one this year and I'm also working on a module with Hyper Ireland in Karlskrona as well. And what can you just explain a bit about the module before we give some advice out? Sure yeah so um, it's uh, creating informed marketing the one in Karlskrona is strategy and data and what I'm trying to do is give a little bit more of a well-rounded business approach to the concept of marketing. I think that there's so much out there where people can channel their creativity and they can develop that. But I think what I've been doing, especially over the last five years, is when you spend a lot of time with some of the senior management in these businesses, um, I'm a little more appreciative of what they've got to go through. And they are trying to grow their business or grow their client base or maintain their existing uh, consumer base. And often what marketing is meant to do is to inspire that business uh, mm. strategy from that point of view. So what both um, modules do is they expose the students to the reality of of data and what happens in senior management boardrooms and those types of things, but also gets them to channel their creativity in a really focused way. So it's not just creating a bright idea because uh, I had a bright idea. It's more saying, well, hang on, no, we looked at the market, we looked at your category, we've looked at your competitors, and here's an idea we have that could help your business achieve differentiation or growth or um, yeah, brand heat, for instance, and those types of things. And what we're seeing off the back of it, especially a lot of the feedback from last year, is that the students feel a lot better prepared to go into the real world. Yeah. Uh, and they're not going in either too arrogant or too timid, uh, but they're actually bringing their intelligence to, to, to bear. So, um, yeah, Julia Ineda, who is one of my kind of star pupils <laughs> from last year, she's at Apple now. Cool. And that blows me away the whole time to think that, you know, we would have played a part in giving her that platform. Um, and we've got other students who have gone on to work at like the leading broadcasters and other brands and those types of things. So it's good to see that the kind of exposure to some uh, real life situations is preparing everybody for, for yeah, for real life, really. Well, uh, unfortunately, we all can't come to your modules. So uh, maybe you can share some uh, advice in uh, getting into the real world. Yeah, no, I, I think that the first thing I was telling the guys today is to, as much as possible, read or watch or listen to as many business um, kind of podcasts, uh, articles, um, watch things like CNBC. You get to understand the um, the stimulus that drives a lot of share driven organizations where the cost of their share price and whether their share price is increasing or not increasing um, some of the announcements that get made regarding um, increases or unfortunately decreases in sales and those types of things and how they report on growth okay. and then what you can do off the back of that is then begin to peel that back and say how has marketing played an incredible role with that today we talked about the fact that if you look at someone like adidas um, they have hired someone like Beyonce or they're working with Beyonce on Ivy Park as a way of creating appealing products to a new mm. consumer base. Um, there is a brand marketing component to that, but there's m most definitely a business component to that. So once you begin to think of that, it reframes the way a lot of marketing students would think about um, using someone like Beyonce and what the expectation would be. And that's just the reality because the meetings that would have happened, there would have been business meetings, um, projections, financial projections and those types of things, as well as the distillation of a really sharp 
creative concept that would have taken her to market, um, leveraging her brand and the Adidas brand as well. So um, that's one thing. Read as much business material as you can. I I think the second thing is to refine the bullshit filter. Exactly what you said, you know, trust that gut instinct of if you think something's been greenwashed or if somebody is kind of not, something's not quite right and dig into why. And that's the last one, really. It's just really investigate why do I think this what can I do to support that notion? And how can I make sure that I can articulate that to both sets of audiences, the marketing audience and the business audience? I can tell you that when I worked in global marketing, I would do my my presentations would look radically different depending on who I was talking to. The marketing department would be videos and animations and kind of cool punky stuff and if I'm presenting to the board I literally took all of that out and just had charts and numbers and evidence so you have to almost um, at times be aware of of changing your approach depending on who you're speaking to for the purpose that you'd like so if I want kind of a, a hardcore business guy to listen showing him you know tattoos and piercings and uh, sexual stuff mm, ain't gonna work he wants to see numbers yeah. on the flip side I can show really emergent counterculture to the marketing department and they'll be really inspired hopefully so do those three things and I think I think I think you'll you'll go far so as a like an entry-level uh, position um, not that we need to talk about Hyper Island all the time but people coming out of Hyper Island they may have a few years experience they might have zero experience if I'm going to an interview uh, say at Bold Scandinavia or another agency um, anywhere, what kind of approach should I be taking? Should I make sure my uh, have my portfolio, my CV? Like, uh, like, do I be authentically confident myself to them? Do I uh, play a role? Like, what are, what is what is what is the industry looking for? But also, it's not just about what they are looking for. It's about what the person going to is looking for. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think one of the the kind of dirty secret that we need to kind of get out there first I think is that Hyper does an amazing job of giving the young students in particular a lot of confidence to kind of to take on and to challenge and to do those things. Um, what we're trying to do with the module is channel that, but also to make sure we don't err on the side of being arrogant yeah. and kind of tell all, which is unfortunately what can happen sometimes, but more make it about the company or the person you're speaking to. I had a couple of discussions today with students on this exact topic, and I just had to just recalibrate just a little bit and say to them listen whoever you're talking to how can you make their life easier do you have an idea or a concept or a you know an initiative which can help them achieve their business goals because if somebody came to me i'm running eight projects at the same time and said rob i can help you run three of those projects i'm listening yeah I don't care who you are. I'm like, please tell me how. (laughs) Um, So if you do it from that point of view, then you're able to initially add value. Cool. And it could be even at an entry level position, just to be somebody who said, I'm willing to listen, run, hustle, do whatever. I'll help in whatever way you can. Let me know whatever help you need. I'm willing to help. Something as simple as that sometimes can be it. Instead of giving it the Billy Big Bollocks, the big I am. Um, The the other one, last one, is, is, is more just to make sure that you're not, always looking for something well I guess it's the same really it's not looking for something for you I think take you out of it make it about the other person so whilst you might want a job pay mentors I hear all that kind of stuff it's more like get out there and have an opinion about that category or that business which could help so you can be a junior level or an entry level person sorry and still be capable of coming in and saying 
have you seen this? I've been reading this. I thought this. What do you think? And that's much more of an engaging conversation to have with anybody. And I openly ask for that from all my team. And you've seen situations where on my team, the most junior person can have the best idea and we'll, we'll run with it. It's not down to experience. But yeah, get out there, have fun with it. Cool. Um, I think we can wrap up, to be honest. It's, uh, we can wrap up this section and uh, say a huge thank you to Beppo Studio again. And uh, thank you to Rob for coming here thanks for having me and uh, no worries um, it's super nice to have you here and uh, yeah see you next time uh, thank you for listening to our special edition 